Here at Country Roads Magazine, for 40 years with curiosity as our guide, we've been wandering the back roads of Louisiana and Mississippi, discovering and sharing Southern culture's most compelling stories. Our latest project is Detours, a podcast where we'll dive deeper into some favorite stories from our recent issues and crack open the door to our editorial meeting, letting you, dear listener, in on our process of choosing and refining the stories that land in country roads. Think of it as a friendly audio companion to your monthly magazine, a chance to really hear the voices of the artists, chefs, farmers, musicians, designers, and other culture bearers who make our vibrantly unique region like no other. It's a chance to listen closer and discover more. And maybe laugh a little too. I'm James Fox-Smith, publisher. And I'm Jordan Lahey-Fontenot, managing editor. And I'm Alexandra Kennan, arts and entertainment editor. And this is Detours, a new podcast from your friends at Country Roads Magazine. Hey y'all, it's Jordan. Welcome back to Detours. For this episode, recorded in the Acadiana Open Channel Community Media Podcast Studio, I met with three creatives working in the Lafayette area. Jonathan Olivier, a writer, Drake LeBlanc, a filmmaker, and Jordan Thibodeau, a musician, to discuss the work that ties them all together, preserving and promoting Louisiana French culture. The last time the four of us were all in one place was this past Mardi Gras, where we were each running the courier in Fikitaye. Jordan, as per tradition, was the capitaine, riding above us all, pouring whiskey down our throats and yelling if he caught us not wearing our masks. That day was the first time I heard the title track of Jordan's new album, released last March, La Prière. He performed the song at the graveyard stop, a part of the Fikitaye tradition where the whole career, all 400 people or so, convene in the Chitania Baptist Cemetery to honor our ancestors. We all sat there entranced as Thibodeau and his teenage daughters chanted the words, Tu vis ta couture ou tu tu ta couture, il n'y a pas milieu. Jordan performed the song with no instruments, only these French words that I barely even understand, ringing out across the prairie. I couldn't really articulate why the tears were pouring down my face, but when I looked around, I realized that I was not the only one. Later, I would learn that the words translate to you live your culture or you kill your culture. There is no in-between. That experience and that song impacted me very, very deeply, and I started sharing it with anyone who would listen. I knew that I wanted a profile on Jordan and specifically this song and his message in our magazine. So for our May 2023 issue, which celebrated local culture preservationists of all sorts, we had Jonathan, who is a longtime contributor of Country Roads, write the story. Jonathan is also the staff writer at the Louisiana multilingual media platform Tele Lucien, which was co-founded by Drake, who serves as the chief creative officer. And this story that we put together uh, launched a brand new creative partnership between our organizations in which we at Country Roads will publish stories on Louisiana culture in English and Tele Louisiane will publish the same story in French. It felt only natural to bring all of these parties together to further this conversation on how art and content creation can further the gospel of Louisiana French culture. So in this episode, we discuss the collective experience of mourning the loss of this culture, which is conveyed so viscerally in Jordan's song, La Prière, as well as the sense of community and traditions that are at stake. 
We also discussed Drake's work in creating the music video for the song, which has added an entire other layer to its impact as a tool to recruit lukewarm Cajuns like myself to the work of living out their culture. So the first time I had heard that song was at Festival Acre and Creo in 20, I guess it was last year. So 2021 yeah. or 2022, sorry. Um, and it was the last song I believe Jordan had played that night and it was dark and um, it just kind of started off somber. I had never heard the song before. And then when he started singing, you know, the lyrics immediately just kind of hit you, right? Yeah. And there was that refrain that he sings, um, I mean, it, it wasn't probably a minute in I started crying because it just really just like hit home a lot of issues we have in Louisiana related to the languages and the and the culture and how important it is to preserve it. And he basically captured it mm -hmm. perfectly in that song. The sort of urgency we have in Louisiana to uh, work to continue what we have. Yeah, for me, I probably first time remember hearing the song was around the same time. Um, Festival Acadien and Creole of last year. And, you know, Jordan is a good friend of mine. We were already working together just because of the nature of um, his music career and my career in media. And um, it wasn't like hearing that song, like it didn't sound like um, a new sentiment, right? Like mm -hmm. it was already like so familiar, just like me knowing Jordan personally and uh, knowing like what our missions are individually and like what we get up and try to do every day for our culture through our work and mm -hmm. through like our social lives and through our personal lives, et cetera. Um, it was already like, I was like, this is just what we've been talking about, what has like been our daily mission, but just encompassed in one three minute song, yeah. you know, three minute, 30 second song or whatever. And uh, so it was, it was nice to hear it, but I definitely saw it as a, a tool that would be used to bring the the stragglers on yeah. for the movement, you know, as far as like um, preserving our culture, but I always make an emphasis to say not only preserving our culture, but promote it because yeah. preserving it like that, the bulk of that work is done by our predecessors and our people that came before us and started a lot of these grassroots movements. But now I feel like it's on people like us and these newer generations to like promote it and I continue feel like, it. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what that song is doing and what the lyrics are doing. So, for sure. I um I might I, I might identify a little bit as one of the stragglers in that I feel like I've always identified very deeply with my particular Cajun culture and felt very strongly about it, but I haven't made the um move to go and I've taken a lot of like university French classes, but I've never made you know, had the push to go and learn how to 
be part of it in that whole sense and that most important sense in, in a way. And um, I felt a sense of urgency hearing this. And so I feel like, yeah, you're, those are the people you're really kind of hitting in the gut with this song. Yeah. And if I could just say one more yeah. thing about it, like, I think the thing that probably hit me the most with maybe, you know, just so emotional hearing it was, and one of the lines Jordan says, right, there's in French, there's so, there's a lot too many people who can't understand basically what I'm saying. Yeah. Can't understand the lyrics. Um, and that's so true um, because it was kind of odd to be in that group of people knowing that probably 90% of them couldn't understand the lyrics, right? And it, it for me, it, it drove home how much we have lost as a culture. Um, and that's just related to the languages. For sure. There's Yeah, it can go on and on. Um, Jordan, what about you? How does it feel like whenever you first started performing this for crowds, uh, what was the react? What was it like to, to kind of see that reaction? I don't know. Um, surreal, I guess. You get the positive feeling of <clears throat> seeing that they have a lot of your people that understand, seeing that they have a lot of people that appreciate what you're doing, what you're saying, you know, that you're touching people. You get that positive, but at the same time, you get a massive flow of, I don't know, sadness, whatever the word is, the because of the fact that they relate so much to it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice to see people that understand and relate to what you're saying, but it's also heartbreaking to know that so many people think and feel the same thing. I mean, I think the word is mourning. I mean, yeah. you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I've like listened to the song like as a as an audience member. I've like seen it from the perspective of like not being a musician on stage, but like being on stage with the musicians and kind of like sharing their perspective of like looking at the crowd, like receive the song and like every time and just like, and then I've also watched countless of hours of footage just yeah. to make the music right. video for the song. Right, I want to get back to that in a little <laughs> um, bit. <laughs> so it's like I've I've been able to study a lot of faces from the stage and from the crowd like over and over again. And it's like if I had to like tie one word to that song, which is like it, it may sound sad, but I don't think it is. I think it's powerful, but it's mourning. It's like yeah. a sense of mourning when you watch people receive this song, you know, it's the, they're mourning. They're mourning something because, like, they know that if it is still there, that, like, it's faint. And, mm-hmm. you know, I also think it's ironic that the urgent feeling that that song gives is, like, it's a slow song. Yeah. It's a slow song. And it's, like, how could something, like, that slow and kind of, like, this sway, you know, similar to, like, the waves in the ocean just kind of, like, rocking back and forth. How can something that slow still give such a sense of urgency? Right. Uh, Jordan, if you don't mind me asking, where does this song come from? What influences did you pull from? How did your process look like writing it? I think anything I've ever heard in my life is an influence. Mm -hmm. I think the songs I listen to, I think, you know, the sound of my horse feet on the road, the sound of a boat motor running through the basin. I mean, whatever. Everything has a melody to it, has a rhythm to it, if you just listen, you know? So I don't never consider I don't know where any direct influence was musically I just everything I do I try and just do based on pure feeling it's just these are my actual feelings these are my my real emotions put into sound you know as far as the lyrics go I mean I mean it's really it's called La Priere because it was literally like just praying about it Mm -hmm. you know I mean it's 
that's not just said something to be cute. I mean, it was something real, you know? Whenever I want to come back to the music video, whenever you guys were talking about how to um, bring this to life from a visual sense and um, a movement sense, what were those conversations like? Um, I, a lot of the places look very familiar um, and I, I assume are very personal. Um, what was what was that like for you two? Well, I think um, me and Jordan are two like very creative individuals in our own right. And that's always like just the nature of the, the job. It's like it always presents a challenge because like, you know, this is Jordan's song. And like he has like a, a very specific vision of like exactly how like he wants it to look in his head. And then like me as a filmmaker. Like, you know, like I, I'm like, oh, man, like I got like this idea, like this is how I would like portray this emotion or this is how I like would portray this image. And um, <laughs> I told him it, it was so funny because, y'all, if y'all know anything about me, I never, ever, ever, ever sit down with like clients. But that just goes to show that like what me and Jordan have mm -hmm. is like far beyond like a working relationship. And we actually are friends and we actually do like respect each other as far as like our opinions um, and methods for like for preserving and promoting our culture that me and Jordan sat down in his house in Cypress Island for like, man, we must have worked on that <laughs> like two, three days straight. Like, yeah. I mean, like, you know what I mean? A week of, I mean, I, like two of those nights, I even ended up just like spending the night at his house because we was like literally like working on it until we, you know, fell asleep. But uh, I think it was like perfect harmony of like, these were the ideas that like Jordan had. And then we also had like from the business standpoint of like, hey, like we want to get this message out. Mm -hmm. uh, in sync with like the festivals that are coming up and a lot of uh, high potential for exposure. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, all right, look, I was like, well, realistically we can pull this off. Um, thankfully, like we live in the swamps pretty much. So it's yeah. like a lot of the imagery that we wanted was close by. And then uh, we s sourced a lot of those images were just from other shows that I'd already filmed in the past that, you know, we just happened to have. And, you know, in those moments, like before we had any, idea of what the La Priere music video would be, we knew that performance footage of La Priere was mm -hmm. like essential over sure. any other song. Like we knew that like that was the one that's like if there's anything that we need to like film from start to finish, it needs to be a live performance of La Priere. So we had that foresight a year in advance. Wow. And then when it was time, like everything just fell you know, it mm -hmm. fell in order how it needed to and uh and we made it work. Yeah. Um I think this gets communicated in the music video very well, but, um, you know, people think of like what Cajun culture is. There's a lot of like commodification. There's a lot of ideas of what that means, but this is speaking this song and, and a lot of your message as a whole speaks to something much deeper. I know you talk about religion and Catholicism and, um, family values and things. And, um, I wanted to ask you to speak about that and about what is this way of life? language obviously being an enormous part of it um, that we should be fighting to preserve and, and continue. I think just the simple base of community. I think mm -hmm. anybody who was raised here can remember what it was like when they were kids. You can remember that Sundays were for visiting your family. You can remember that, you know, all the folk tales you learned. So all of your cultural practices, all of your gatherings, the way that family was such an integral part of the culture. And you can see that geographically. You can look at the majority of families in South Louisiana until 
our generation, some people, our parents' generation, 90% of the time, everybody lives right down the street from their parents, their cousins, their this, their this, their this, and it's in every little community. You can look at somebody and hear their last name and know what town they're from mm -hmm. just by hearing the last name. And that, to me, exemplifies the importance of family, of that, of that clannish mentality that built the communities, you know, because if not, people would have been moving already. Why wouldn't you move down the road? Why wouldn't you go, you know, move over there because there's a better job or whatever it was? It didn't matter. You stayed right there and you supported your community. You supported your people. It was so close-knit, mm -hmm. so close-knit. And I feel like everybody's so detached from that today. It's very much a every man for himself mentality. And I don't feel that anybody is going to do well with that. You know, and and that doesn't just speak for our people. That speaks for the world as a whole. You know, community is essential. And that being said, so one those practices, the the bonding and sharing of life. You know, not just things, but life. The way you spend time with people, the things you do when you're spending time, mm -hmm. the fact that you know, when we were kids, I can remember every grown man I looked up to. You know. You would argue over who made a, made a better gravy versus who had what name brand junk, you know, yeah. or what kind of this or what kind of, that didn't matter. Like nobody cared about that. Who could outdance you on that dance floor? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Who like knew the most about whatever this topic was and, and, you know, well, those families did this and that one was married to this and that one. Those knowledges, those things that were held so close to heart for generation after generation that have been pushed by the wayside, you know, to say, oh, look, I live in this gated community. Oh, look, this is the kind of car I have. Oh, look, this is the kind. And it's like, no one cares. Like, that's, mm -hmm. that's never been a thing. And, like, history is not going to remember that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So why not focus on the things that made you? Everybody from anywhere, anywhere in the U.S., and I'm sure it's similar in other countries, Anybody who's older will always say, oh, when I was a little, when I was a kid, oh, the good old days, mm -hmm. good old days, oh, things used to be like this. It was the good old days. Well, if it's not like that today, it's because you're not doing it. Mm. If it was good in the old days, then just live like it was in the old days. And I don't, have, I don't mean it has to be you, you're running around 400 years behind the times. I'm talking about just your social environments, you know? You can still use a computer. You can still call people on the phone, whatever. Yes, of course, adapt to technology and whatever. But you don't have to completely change your social structure, your societal structure, based off of advancements in technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's silly. Right. That's almost mindless. People don't realize it's happening. Oh, yeah. And they don't see it at all, especially people that's been raised in this, mm -hmm. people that don't know life without the Internet, people that don't know what it is to not be able to call somebody on their cell phone. Right. You know, like, oh, there's an emergency, but... They out fishing. I guess they'll find out tomorrow. Yeah. You know, like that was real life. That was, you know, for everyone for a long time. Mm -hmm. But and because of that, you had an attachment to people and you I feel you uh, appreciated and respected the time and the, the things you did together because you didn't know if that emergency would happen if you'd get that phone call, mm -hmm. you know, and now everybody's at arm's reach everybody's right there you can call you can do this you can do that so because of that there's not that need to let us spend time together let's play bourree and tell jokes let's do all these things that everybody always did 
because it's not, I don't need to. Mm-hmm. I can see them. You know, I can see them post a picture of that hamburger they just ate. Yeah. So I don't need them to come over here and cook a gravy. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. Focusing more back on the right things, the things that made us who we are, you know? Sure. I feel like just a lot of our cultural traditions come from those kind of visiting. Without that, a doubt. You know, like all of our stories and the things we appreciate today, the things we, we, we talk about, you talk about La Piatta, yeah, that comes from visiting with your family, mm-hmm. being together, not being, worrying about what car you drive or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Just like sitting on the front porch eating yeah, like when I, I talk to my grandparents a lot because I just, I'm interested in what, how it was like back in the day or whatever. And almost every time they tell me a story, it it's basically revolves around them visiting with somebody in the community and they'd work hard all day in the fields. But at the end of the day, they gathered and they visited and they talked to each other. They told stories and played music and that like kept that community strong. Right. It makes me think about the storytelling too, about, um, when we stop doing that is when we lose the literal stories and the song. Oh, yeah. That's where those traditions get lost is because we aren't gathering in the same way. Um, and you lose so much. And the language just being the thing that ties it all together, certainly. Yeah. Because we are gathering, we are sharing. So, Because right. you can look at it as simple as something. You know, we mentioned things like food a lot. We mentioned things like music. And people think, oh, well, this is just a one simple thing. That's one little thing. But they forget how this came to be and how it has been self-sustaining is because, like we're saying, you gather. If we look at something as simple as a boucherie, a boucherie exemplifies the the sharing of the community and the helpfulness of the community because everybody's coming together to help you butcher this animal. Then on top of that, now we're going to cook all of these dishes. Nobody can eat it all today. This tradition comes from days before refrigeration. So what you do? You part it out. Whatever we don't eat today, that's going to each of these little families. Maybe next week Drake's going to kill some, and then I'm going to get some parts. Mm-hmm. And we're all working together su- to sustain each other. Yeah. But on top of that, now you're passing down the tradition of how to make these dishes, how to cook these foods. Mm-hmm. You know how many people in Acadia love boudin? They love rice and gravy. They love this. And no clue how to make it. Right. No clue how to make it. Everybody used to know how to make this. Like, that's just cooking. I don't care if you're from the city. I don't care if you're from the country, rich, mm-hmm. poor, whatever. It's just food. Like, everybody cooked. Yeah. But these traditions are being lost because people are getting together to learn how to do it. Same with the music. We look at songs that we're playing. We can talk about, you, you mentioned Mardi Gras. You, think, you look at things like the Mardi Gras song. You look at things like many of our songs that Travaille C'est Trop Dear, that, that uh, Zach ended up recording. These songs are hundreds of years old. Mardi Gras song is, is five, six hundred years old. I don't even know. I mean, it's it's very, very old mm-hmm. melody. And these songs were not recorded. That means that this was just getting passed from one to the next, to the next, to the next. Auditorily, you know, like yeah. just. Son to father. Yes. Yeah. People, you heard the song enough times that you could sit down and figure out how to play it. Mm. Like, you can't do that without coming together. Right. You know, it's required. And like I said, today, just there's so much space between people that is, I don't know, it's sad. Yeah. Well, 
In addition to his work as a musician, Jordan has also over the past few years gained quite a bit of fame on short video platforms like TikTok and Reels for his Louisiana French Du Jour series, in which he tells stories and jokes, very funny ones, um, often drawing on the Cajun tradition of Boudreau and Thibodeau in French with English subtitles. While we focus on traditional foundations of Louisiana French community in the first half of our conversation, now we get into the value of using modern technology, content creation, and social media as a means to educate on and draw attention to Louisiana French and other native languages, work that is exemplified by Jordan's presence on these social media platforms, as well as by the work being done by Jonathan and Drake at Louisiana. I tell people all the time that you know, if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. And that's just the day and age of technology and social media and super fast paced storytelling and entertainment that we live in. So the role that Telly Lou plays is that, I mean, we try to document literally as much as possible. We also empower other locals and creatives to encourage them to document as well by like opening up our platform to like different types of documenting. It doesn't always have to be a documentary. It doesn't always have to be a podcast. We want the French animations. We want the social media reels and just recaps of your weekends. And, you know, we want these quirky like French lessons that, you know, like Jordan and Keelan Ogeron do. And like, you know, we want it all. So I think, um, you know, it's important to have a safe space for creatives. And I feel like, you know, whenever there, there, that safe space exists, I feel like by default, your culture, the art, the history, the present day identity of wherever that, that safe space exists will undoubtedly like be preserved mm-hmm. because it's kind of one of those things is like, if it can happen, it will happen. You know? Yeah, if like, there's a place for it, right. it'll get made. Yeah. Right. So we realized that there was a a lack of media surrounding our culture specifically, and even more so a lack of media surrounding our culture by people from this culture. Yeah. yeah. There was a, a decent amount of content and media that existed, but it was never by Louisiana locals. Uh-huh. Not as much as there should have been. There was always somebody with a, which I, I'm appreciative of them doing that because it definitely helped with the movement. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, us as locals, as Louisianians, we can't sit here and complain about the lack of accuracy in the media and the representation of us on screen, on radio, on air, or whatever, if we're not making the media. Yeah. So I was like, this was a way for us to like, um, regain influence over our own culture and like take control over how it's represented in media and how it's preserved in the history books, which today a history book is a website. It is a social media. It is the Facebook and YouTube archives that run for infinity and beyond. And um, so, yeah, so we, we wanted to create, we saw that there was a lack of that content and of uh, the, the opportunities for locals to make that, that type of content or relevant content content that's relevant to us. And we said, well, the first step to fixing that is to create a space for them to do that. And then voila, out of nowhere, people became content creators, specifically focusing on Louisiana, French language, the Creole language, the Creole culture, the Cajun culture, 
like content centered around that. Like it, it almost appeared out of nowhere yeah. because it was that out some, of, it was needed. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a safe space for it finally. So. Yeah. Um, and John, then you've been, you've been writing for country roads for a long time and writing for other publications and often in this vein. So, um, it's such a great fit for you to end up as Hello Louis the end, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about your um, role as a writer and, and now as a podcaster um, in this space too, you know, as someone who does speak the language and feeling uh, an opportunity to share it. And you've often written about various aspects of Louisiana culture. Um, so I just want to ask you a little bit about what has prompted you to, to take up that space as a, as a creative person and, um, and where it's brought you today with Tell Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, I guess I've been working in journalism for about 10 years and the first, I don't know, at least half of that, I was writing about the outdoors, hunting, fishing for Louisiana sportsmen, uh, backpacking for outside magazine. And I left Louisiana. I wasn't worried about anything about the culture or nothing, but having left is what sparked the interest. And when I was there, I found myself missing my parents. Mm-hmm. missing my culture, my music, everything that I knew <clears throat> was back home. So I just lived in Tennessee, right? I could drive back and I find myself coming back all the time. Yeah. Find myself doing Duolingo, trying to learn French again because I just missed it. And I went to Quebec and that's what really was like, man, like we could like we could have that here, yeah. you know. Um and so I had written this piece called Lash Palais Long de la Louisiane for Bitter Southerner and had interviewed a bunch of folk like um Ashley and the We Me Show, mm-hmm. um, Tiffany. Um, I actually interviewed Will. Um, Will agree who's the CEO of Telling yeah. Me Story. So that was like my like kind of dipping my you know foot into the waters of the local like whatever you want to call it French movement or whatever. Um, and after that, I decided that I wanted to continue telling our story because I had focused far too long on other stuff and it was important to me. So I kind of shifted focus the last four or five years to report more on like issues that are important for Louisianans, whether that be coastal erosion or cultural issues, the language, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I'm, I'm focusing my efforts. And so, um, yeah, in January, Will approached me and asked if, you know, I wanted to do writing for Louisiana in a more full-time capacity. And I absolutely was like, yeah, man, yeah. like this is exactly kind of what I feel like I had been working towards. So um, for Louisiana, uh, I basically work with with Will to come up with ideas to basically write local, have local journalism, but in French and English, um, which is desperately needed because we don't have a, a local newspaper or any sort of right. you know reporting in French in Louisiana. So it's sort of like continuing the tradition that we had in the 1800s all the way up until the 1950s. There were French newspapers in New Orleans. And I, we kind of forgot that in our cultural memory that we used to be able to read the news in French if you could read. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like this process has been great because we can do everything like Drake's saying with the new media. And we can also kind of have some of that old school journalism stuff wrapped mm-hmm. up into it, too, and continue some of these cultural practices, this this journalism that we had in French so many years ago. And, and of course, we're focusing still on um, the language, the heritage, um, but also two things that are contemporary, like coastal erosion. How is that impacting yeah. um, communities like the, the Point of Shannon Indian tribe and so forth? Um, so it's been a great process and um, I'm just looking forward to growing that, you know, growing the team and having more people involved. And like, like Drake was saying, getting more Louisianans involved, writing, producing media as well. Yeah. And I, I would like to add to that, that like a, a huge thing I forgot to mention earlier that Jonathan touched on is that like we're creating jobs, yeah, we're creating jobs in Louisiana where you could use Louisiana French and, 
you know, I was one of the early on products of uh, the French immersion program in, in Lafayette. And I remember like when I was questioning if I should be in the French immersion program, you know, in high school, because all of my core subjects from kindergarten all the way up to high school are in French. And then, you know, when you start getting the liberty and the independence to like choose your own schedule and all this other things in high school, and I'm like, okay, like this is cool and it's fun, but realistically, what does that mean for me and my career when I get out of high school? Because when I was in high school, um, early on, like my first few years in high school where, you know, the choices that you make in your schedule and your academic schedule is super important. I didn't see a direct path for me to use these classes that I filled up a lot of my time with to like give me economic advantage right. in my own hometown, which was supposedly the whole point. So one of our, our staples and like our mission at Tele Louisiana is that like we didn't only want to create a safe space for creators, but we wanted to like have some economic uh, opportunities as right. well and like, you know, secure funding to create jobs. So that way now all those kids that are in French immersion or that are like watching Jordan videos are like, man, like I want to do stuff like that. And it's like, hey, like there's not only a safe space, but there's a paying space for you to be. Right. And that means if it's paying, that means it's sustainable. Yeah. And that's that's how you really preserve and promote a culture It's like you put stuff in place that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's real motivator for people who don't already speak that language to, to find a way to learn it, kind of like you described. Did you learn through Duolingo or? Oh, I was just, I'm doing, just curious. Yeah, I was doing that in Tennessee because, um, you know, I'd heard it as a kid and I was, yeah. you know, I took classes in high school, or whatever, and I was just trying to brush up on it. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, back to what Drake was saying too, though, um, I really am appreciative that Television exists because I spent a lot, a lot of time relearning this language, yeah, you know, invested hours going to Canada, whatever, because I need to know it for me. For sure. But also too, it's it's great that I can use it as a job now. Right. You know, um, that Television exists in Louisiana to provide me an economic an economic opportunity. Um, for me that was huge. Right. Um and I'm so glad that it exists and, and I and I know there will be future opportunities because that seems like where we're going with this. Mm -hmm. I feel like this this sure. movement is like telling people, yeah, learn French, but also too like you know, you can have a job in French. It, it can sustain you too. We can live in the language. Live in the language. I love that. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask you guys um, about resources that you might recommend for people kind of like myself who are interested in learning it later, learning the language later in life. I know obviously locally we have a lot of great French immersion schools um, for people who want to get their families involved in that. But for... Um, for adults, like what are, we have a lot of French tables, I know, but um, wanted to ask you guys how you would recommend people get started. Yeah, I think um, the French tables and all that and the classes, all that stuff is great. Uh, we currently have a adult kind of like summer immersive French immersion program. I don't know what the technical term to call it, but like with St. Luke that's getting established in Arnhemville, mm -hmm. that's going to be a great opportunity when they open up their doors. But when people ask me personally, like the first thing I tell them is like, switch your phone in French. I'm like, you know, all those icons, like, you know, yeah. what those, you know what the little gear icon mean. Like that's just said is like, you oh, know where everything great. is because we use it all day, every day. So that'll help um, get some le legitimate like French vocabulary in your system. I also tell people music. Like music is so easy because it has a rhythm, it's poetic, there's like patterns in music. So it makes it really, really, really easy to remember. And it's like, I know a bunch of people that can recite lyrics to French songs and don't know what they mean. Yeah. But being able to recite it and pronounce it properly is like step, that's a huge step in the process, right? 
So like listening to French music and going research the lyrics, uh, you know, we did the work for you on La Pierre, you know, shameless plug, but like we did yeah. the work for you because we have the, the subtitles, you know, but it's like doing stuff like that. And then also my third piece of advice that I always offer is going back and watching whatever cartoons or movies that you remember from your childhood and like that movie that you've seen like 50 times, go rewatch it in French. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody and their mama didn't seen like every Harry Potter movie ever <laughs> at least three times. I'm like, go back and watch it in French. You know what's happening. You know what's being said. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and with, with, you know, to touch on what Jordan was saying earlier, like using that technology to our advantage is like, you know, it's like if we let it, it'll kind of like kill us. And I mean that figuratively as far as like the culture and all that and like getting away from our traditions. But we can use it to our advantage. Sure. Netflix has like this amazing software that any piece of content that you watch on Netflix can like the AI or the al- whatever it is, the algorithm, the powers that be can like transform the audio to a different language. Wow. Like it transforms the like you can listen to the audio in like different languages that the film yeah, wasn't wild. originally fil- filmed in. And then you can still have like your English subtitles. And it's like, I feel like those steps alone is something that people can implement today because yeah. it takes time to like sign up for a class, figure out, you know, sure. telling people to go to a French class is like telling them to go to the gym. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it sounds <laughs> good. And everybody's going to agree to it. But like yeah. when it boils out to, it, you know, are they really going to do it? But it's like, no, actionable items today is like, if you hear this right now, switch your phone to French. It's super, if you care about learning yeah. it, it's super simple. You know how to at least get back to switch it to English if you like really get lost and like lock out of your phone, but it won't happen, you know? Yeah. And I feel like those are like easy steps to like, yeah, really, super accessible, you know, daily exposure to the language, which I feel like is important. That's where that, that's where the immersion aspect is. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do I immerse myself in this culture? But also how do I immerse myself in this language? And, and use like, it every day. Yeah. Daily exposure. Yeah. yeah I, I agree with all those things. I, I think I did that too, like early on, switch my phone into French and, and I'll add to that too. Um, what helped me a lot was immersion, not as a kid, but as an adult. Um, and if you are an adult and you want to get interested in French, uh, I would look into Santa Anne. Yeah. And I know it's a lot to take five weeks off. People got jobs or whatever. But if you can, I would highly suggest doing it. Because if you do know some French, it just comes flooding back by the first week because you can't speak English the whole time you're there for five mm-hmm. weeks. Um, and for me, immersion was a huge tool to get me more comfortable speaking a language, to learn a lot more of it. And then from there, you can come back to Louisiana, go talk with your grandparents, go go to the French table, you know, and you kind of have that, you lose that haunt, you know, that kind of like you might have if you learn in the language at first, like you may be afraid to to speak because you don't want to mess up, right? And then I think immersion helps you to forget all that because you just got to speak the language. Yeah, because it's it's a safe environment for learning too, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, great. Well, so one way that people have been learning at least some vocabulary is through Jordan's new, um, it's not that new, I guess you've been doing it for a little while now, um, Instagram videos and series. Uh, tell me how you got started doing that. Um, what made you want to use that platform as a way to kind of, and, and to do it in a really fun way? Where did the concept come from? Well, the objective was just to find a way to engage with young people that wasn't that wasn't uh, intimidating, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many people that are interested. They, they really are, you know. They'll tell you that all day long. I'd love to learn. I've been wanting to learn. I listen. And providing them something that wasn't such an academic setting, something that was just fun and silly, whatever. But you get that exposure. You get that. If you constantly hear something, you just get it. Mm-hmm. It sounds outrageous, but you'll just understand. And people don't believe that. You know, we're talking about immersion programs. We're talking about 
That's literally all an immersion program is. If you're forced to live in a language, you'll just understand that language after a little while. It just works. So giving something uh, in a format that wasn't so intimidating that people could relate to and feel fun, that they gradually pick up some stuff. And you'd be surprised. I mean, in a short amount of time, I've got people that follow me that are commenting. I just watched this whole video without the subtitles. Uh-huh. People that have put no effort into learning, but they've heard these words enough times now. You know, there's certain words that are going to get repeated that they can follow it contextually. They might not know every word, but they follow the context without having to read, you know. And that just shows that it's getting through to their mind, just subconsciously, you're mm-hmm. picking it up, you know. Obviously, I also support, I always say the music, music's number one. Like Drake said, I mean, there's people that sing the words and they don't know what they mean, but it's not even just that. Think about how many songs in English you hate, songs you detest that you know all the words to. Yeah. You walk in a grocery store, I hate this song, and there you are singing along. Because <laughs> music just imprints in your brain. It just does. Getting rid of embarrassment, first and foremost, never be ashamed to try. It's better to to try and be wrong than to not try at all. You know, mm-hmm. people are always worried about looking unintelligent, uneducated, anything like this. And it's like, if I go to my heart surgeon tomorrow and he speaks broken English, I'm not worried about it because he grew up in India. And I trust that he's a very intelligent man. He's my right. heart surgeon. And for some reason, we're okay with that, looking at someone from somewhere else. But with ourselves, everyone's always quick to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. It's like you'll never make progress that way. Just let go of that. Let go of the the pride and just try something. I'd I'd like to really learn. You know, I really want to put the time in. Okay. So then I started the little subscriptions of actual lessons, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's just vocabulary and practice phrases and broken down and repeated just to give people, if you wanted that little bit of academic environment, that you could get that in addition to something general. Yeah. Um. And that's been going well. I really feel like it's helping. I I walk down the road and I can't tell you how often I see people now that say, Mr. Thibodeau, uh, E. Jordan, uh, whatever, you know what I'm saying? I tell you, como savavo? Oh, savavo tu? Oh, that's all I know. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, that person would have never told me como savavo six months ago. Yeah. They'd have never come out with that word. So already, already, even if it's just that one little phrase they know, that's all they know, that's okay. Yeah. Because that's one more than they were giving me before. And who knows, maybe another six months they'll have two. Maybe they'll have three. And we'll keep going, you know. Yeah, and every little bit contributes to that greater community that can at least engage with each other in in our language. And um, that's really amazing. I did want to, I wanted to ask you about the jokes and where they come from. Are these things you are making up? Or every now and then it's something I make up. Yeah. Most of them is just old jokes. Well, I grew up here in Boudreaux, Tibet. Oh, yeah. Right. And I have always kind of wondered about where they come from. Um, I'll tell you this a little story. When I was a kid, yeah. so my grandmother played Buri one day a week with her friends, and they played Pokina another day. And it was a group of old ladies that'd come sit and play cards. And they had one lady, Miss Mabel. Her son would write a lot of these jokes. A lot of the old Boudreaux and Thibodeau jokes. That was just Mabel Bear, And her son would make up all these jokes. So when she'd come to play cards, she'd always have a new joke. So I'd go sit at the end of the table. And boy, when it was the time to hear a joke, I'd sit and listen. And you know, I'd get on the school bus the next morning. I'd translate it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I'd go tell that joke on the bus. And all my friends would laugh. And I thought, you know, oh, yeah, I like this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of them, there's, I mean, countless places anywhere 
I mean, a lot of them I just remember from growing up. But, like, I'll give you an idea. My farrier came this morning uh, to the house to trim my horse's feet. He knows a ton of jokes. So he'll come and, oh, I got a new one for you. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he sees a lot of different people all over. You know uh-huh. what I mean? That's a guaranteed thing. When you're hanging out with country people, somebody's going to tell a joke. They got the jokes. So when yeah. he hears a new one, he brings it to me, you know, whatever. So different people are just things from remembering growing up, things I read and, you know, maybe one of Barry's books or God yeah. knows what, you know. But just old jokes. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting for me. Um, I think that that's jokes. Boudreaux Timber jokes were some of my earliest, like, Un, like exposures to like things that are specific to being Cajun or, yeah. you know, I grew up in a small community that where we ate rice and gravy and stuff, but I think I didn't understand that that was a part of our culture as much mm-hmm. as it was just part of our life. But the jokes, I was like, that's a Cajun thing. Oh yeah. And so now to have that be the kind of avenue that you're using um, mm-hmm. to, to share our culture with people and to teach the languages uh, is really kind of cool and full circle to me. I feel like humor has always been a part of, my understanding of art culture and and the way the storytelling works and, without a doubt that's like i said that's with all cultures and yeah. going back to community you had your people that told jokes but those were normally referred to as raconteurs uh-huh. they were storytellers you know there was people that would just sit and still tell stories because it's very recent in history that we've got television and radio and everything mm-hmm. else right so before that you had to have entertainment so if everybody's sitting down having a drink whatever there's always one in the bunch they can sit and tell some big, long story. And, you know, like I had a buddy from Church Point that was one of the best raconteurs I've ever met. You know, he could sit and tell you the most engaging story you've ever heard for 30 minutes. And in a lick of it was true. <laughs> and he wasn't doing it to lie. Like he was making it up on the spot. Right. Brilliant. You know, and it was just wildly entertaining. But these are the things because it was all based on things in the community or this yeah. person or this, this, you know, and it's, and it's things you relate to, things you laugh about, whatever. But that's what perpetuates those things, you know? album La Priere on streaming services and at Valcor Records, who we are so grateful to for allowing us to use the song in this episode. Valcor is an independent Louisiana music label based in Eunice, and their website is valcorrecords.com. Learn more about the great work Jonathan and Drake are doing at Telelouisienne at their website, telelouisienne.com, and you can find Jordan's Louisiana French Du Jour videos on his Instagram and TikTok accounts. Just search Jordan, that's spelled with a U, Thibodeau, on those platforms, and you should find it pretty easily. Uh, since we recorded this episode, Jordan, Jonathan, and Drake have been part of a new initiative to mobilize the people of Louisiana around the preservation and promotion of our culture and language. The organization is called L'Assemblée de Louisiane, which you can learn more about on Instagram, Facebook, and X. All of this, as always, will be linked in our show notes at countryroadsmag.com detours. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, and if you're still with us at this point, we assume that you do, please subscribe to Detours. Give us a rating and maybe even send it to a friend. And if you're not already reading Country Roads magazine, you probably should be. To read online, find a copy, or subscribe to have the monthly issues delivered to your door, visit countryroadsmag.com. 
Detours is written, reported and produced by us, the editorial team at Country Roads Magazine. James Fox-Smith, Jordan Lahey-Fontenot and Alexandra Kennan. Our theme music was written and recorded by Bill Daniel and Sam Shaheen of Naughty Professor and produced by Bill Daniel at Wildchild Studios in New Orleans. The audio editing for this season was done by me, Jordan Lahey-Fontenot and Alexandra Kinnan. The Detours logo and other graphics were designed by Country Roads Magazine's creative director, Courtney Zimmerman. So until our next detour, don't be a stranger. You can always reach us at detours at countryroadsmag.com. And thanks for listening.